Welcome to Orioles on the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we are coming to you with our final show of 2023, which is going to be a look back at the year that was here in Birdland. And it was a great year as the Orioles won 101 games and the American League East title. There was also a lot of good things in the minor leagues as well. A lot of good things with the podcast. So this is always one of my favorite shows of the year personally. But I think this year it's going to be even more fun than it has been in the past to do. And I'm just going to dive right in with the first question here, which is, what was the greatest gift that we got from the Orioles in 2023? And with that, I'm going to start with Nick. Does that mean I get to take the low-hanging fruit and say the playoffs? Uh, playoffs in Baltimore like wasn't the result we wanted, obviously, but the Baltimore Orioles won the AL East and made the playoffs. Um, I think that was pretty awesome. Honestly, I think it's it's going to be a theme of a lot of my answers, I think, in this episode. Uh, let's dig a little deeper. Maybe I'll say pitching. Kyle Bradish, second half Grayson Rodriguez, Yenier Cano, the all-star, Felix Batista before the injury. That was unfortunate, but Felix Batista, like, it, pitching. That was a beautiful gift that the Orioles gave us. Yeah, there were some holes. Yeah, that there were some issues, but it was a, a lot of fun most nights to watch this pitching staff work and develop. We must have been really good this year because Santa Claus left a lot of gifts under the tree in 2023 for Orioles fans. 100 wins, AL East division title, playoff appearance. Let's not talk about anything past that. Uh, the performances, just the team that we have, the organization we have, the place that we're in, just the future is bright. Um, new ownership is in sight. Now I'm just making rhymes. In the, um but for me, I think ultimately what is going to be the biggest gift is Gunnar Henderson winning Rookie of the Year. Not only because he arrived, he showed why he was the number one prospect in baseball, why this Orioles player development system is so incredible. He's still only 22 years old. He's going to continue to get better and be a mainstay on this team for at least the next five years. And also, what does this team do really well? Scout draft and develop what does gunner henderson winning the rookie of the year do it gives us an extra first round pick essentially now we have three picks from like 24 to 32 mm -hmm. or something like that uh so yeah i think the biggest gift in a season and a year full of awesome gifts was gunner henderson and him winning that rookie of the year just to tie everything together i'll say that it was the orioles winning the American League East, having the best record in the American League, and all the while maintaining what is still considered one of the top two or three farm systems in all of baseball, headlined by the number one prospect in Jackson Holiday. When you're able to do that, where you're winning at the major league level and you're maintaining an elite farm system, that puts you in the echelon of elite organizations in the game. Um, so hopefully it's a place where the Orioles can stay going forward. I'm confident that if we see a move this offseason where several prospects are packaged in a trade, the Orioles are still going to be left to the strong farm system. So I feel really good about that going forward, and it's great to see the Orioles in that position at the end of 2023. I did just think of another one. Nobody, Nobody's favorite gift was uh, DJ Diesel coming at Camden Yards. Shaquille O'Neal? No? Look. <laughs> Next question. I that game early. <laughs> yeah, I did not even know what the hell you're talking about when you said DJ Diesel. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah, you got to love this, the concert series. <laughs> Gifts keep on giving. Um, on the, along the same lines, what were our favorite moments from the 2023 season specifically? And I'll go to Nick first. Uh, like you said, there, we were good this year. There was a lot. Um, I, this is a pretty easy one for me. I mean, it's it's personal to me, and I'm sh I know I talked about this before, but like it was a moment that I got to witness in person this year. I went to one game this past season. It was a Saturday game against the Mets. It was my first game since 2019 at Camden Yards, and that last game that I went to in 2019 was when Gutter Henderson was brought out and introduced to the home crowd after being drafted. The next time I'm back at Camden Yards in 2023. Gunner's in the lineup and he drilled the home run to center field. And like, I'm not going to lie. I felt a tear forming. I, I felt them coming because like I jump out of my seat screaming, yelling, 
everyone knew it was gone off the bat instantly. But like I'm standing there and I'm just absorbing this view of it was a, a massive crowd at this game. I think it was one of the bigger crowds of the year. But I'm standing there absorbing this view and it just kind of hit me like ignore all the BS on social media, the Debbie Downers, like the unnecessary trivial debates, like something special is brewing here. And maybe it's this year. I'm thinking at the time it obviously didn't come true, but maybe it was this year. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's in two years. I don't know. But like the World Series is coming. It's it's impossible not to feel like big things are in store for this franchise in the very near future. And I, I just felt like that was that was an awesome moment, an awesome feeling that I don't think I've ever had going to an Orioles game. I had the good fortune to be at a lot of good games this year. I was there the night they clinched the division. I was there the night that Grayson Rodriguez went toe-to-toe against Garrett Cole in a pitcher's duel, and Anthony Santander sealed it with a walk-off home run to beat the Yankees one to nothing. But for me, nothing's going to beat that game on September 17th against the Rays with the Orioles winning in extra innings, being down going into the bottom of the ninth. Frazier hits a game-tying double. The two teams trade runs in the 10th, and then the Orioles win it all in the 11th. To have been in the ballpark that day was incredible because it was a good good crowd there, but there wasn't a lot to really cheer about for the first few innings of that game. But the fans hung in there. It was a phenomenal ending, and at that point, after the Orioles won that game, I'm like, there's no way now that they're not going to win the division. They just came back in this game. They came back in the series after losing the first two to Tampa Bay uh, to put themselves in this spot. And it was incredible to be there for that. Yeah, that's well, first off, runner up. I got to go to a playoff game with my daughter. Um, that was special, even though the game sucked. <laughs> we got kind of blown out. Still just an awesome, awesome moment. Uh, to reflect back on. But yeah, that game, like that moment, that Adam Fraser double, he'll go down in history. Ben DeWorst is one of the best stories of all time for that. No, um, uh, that is p- definitely part of it. But for me, the moment of the season, of this entire year, it could be summed up in one picture. It's Mike Elias doing the dong bong, <laughs> uh, the celebration after the game. I mean, that, just to watch those guys celebrate in general was amazing. Like, we've been following this team, so many good guys. And just to see them have the time of their lives, like, <laughs> celebrating. And then to see Mike Elias doing the uh, Homer hers was incredible. Uh, one of my favorite Orioles moments of all time, for sure. Can't wait to see what he does when they win the World Series. Um Next question here is what what did we think was important going into 2023, but was actually overstated? Go with Zach first. I would say that it was the way the infield situation sorted itself out. I think that there were a lot of people coming into the season who were unhappy with the Adam Frazier signing and who were unhappy with what they saw as Ramona Rios and Jorge Mateo blocking prospects in the minor leagues. And while none of those three, Mateo, Frazier, or Rios, had particularly great seasons, the Orioles still managed to win with them. And the prospects that got to the major leagues, I'm looking at Jordan Westberg in particular, forced the issue. They earned their spot. They played really well when they got there. And as we saw, these problems have a way of working themselves out. Unfortunately, not everybody stayed healthy all year. I don't think Ramona Rios was really healthy for most of this year. Um, Jorge Mateo had his ups and downs, but that depth got them through. And I think that while everyone kind of wanted a clean, crisp resolution to that last offseason and didn't get it, in the end, it still worked out for the Orioles. Yeah, that's a good call. I said starting pitching. <laughs> everyone was so mad that all they did was sign Kyle Gibson. Um this is Jordan Lyles 2.0, and they traded for Cole Irvin, some guy, some soft toss and lefty. What's going on with the starting pitching? And then Cole Irvin blows up in the beginning of the year, has to be sent down and work his way back up. But it worked out, obviously. Cobb Radish ends up being top five. What was he, third place, uh, fourth place? Cy Young vote, like, clearly had an incredible year. Grayson Rodriguez struggled, comes back, dominant. Uh, John Means comes back late in the year. Tyler Wells gives you what he gave you early on. Kyle Gibson ate those innings up, had that dog in him, all those uh, veteran uh, innings leaders cliches you could say about him. Uh, But yeah, the starting pitcher turned out not to be that big of a problem for this team. 
And now we're in the same situation again, going into 2024, where we're like, okay, we need that. We need that ace. We need that one big starter. But, uh, you know, we just talked about it last week, but I think we do too, but maybe we don't. For me, maybe this is more so my own fear. I don't know if this was kind of shared by everybody, but the first thing that came to my mind was like the development of the rookies and young guys. Like, would Adley hit a sophomore slump, especially as we see more younger pitchers like Grayson start to emerge in the big leagues? And maybe the emphasis is more on, you know, improving this pitching staff, maybe less on the bat. I don't know. Um, but Adley finished top 10 in MVP voting and won a Silver Slugger award. Like, Gunner did take a while to take off, but like, kind of like I feared would happen, but the guy won rookie of the year uh, and was a 4.6 F4 player this year. Jordan Westberg came up from the jump and was like a contributor. And I don't, I don't think he ever got too high or too low. Uh, just kind of the steady performer. And yeah, the numbers don't blow you away, but I was kind of expecting a, a, a lot tougher adjustment period for um, Westberg this year. Grayson in the second half of the season. Yeah. He, Things weren't going great, but he went back down to Norfolk, comes back up. Second half of the season, 13 starts, a 2.58 ERA, and a 1.1 whip. I mean, phenomenal. Um, I was just kind of hoping that maybe he shows us some signs that a Kyle Bradish-like breakout was going to come out, maybe in 2024, but uh, that's clear as day, that uh, he's the trajectory is shooting sky high. Like, yeah, Kowser didn't take off. He kind of struggled. They didn't let Kerstad kind of go more like in the field and more at bats when he came up. Yeah. They kept Joey Ortiz in AAA all year, which is for other reasons that I've already ranted about before. And I still hundred percent believe, but so like not all the rookies excelled, but like for the younger guys, for the most part came up huge and were a huge reason why this team won 101 games this year. Let's go on the flip side of that. Now, what did we not consider uh, important going into 2023 that ultimately turned out to be important. And I'll start with Bob on this one. Yeah, I wrote these two questions and they are a mouthful. Uh, could have phrased them better, but um, uh, I think we we get the point. <laughs> At least I think I'd know what I was talking about. Um, I'm, I went with uh, the bullpen depth. Going into the season, we were like, I feel like we thought the bullpen was probably going to be one of the strongest parts of the team, at least one of the most reliable, just because you had Felix Bautista, you have Dylan Tate, Sielna Perez coming off these amazing seasons, all the depth behind them. And then Dylan Tate hurt. Felix Bautista starts the year hurt. He's a little bit slow in the beginning of the year. Sielna Perez takes a huge step back um, in the first half of 2023. But that's where the uh, the pitcher development in the minor leagues came into uh be important see i still can't say it right uh yanir cano like what they did with him to be able to offset those those injuries and poor performances was incredibly clutch and and key in the success of the 2023 season a guy that you traded for in the jorge lopez trade almost is like the last piece the little throw in he pitches terrible in his brief time with the orioles at the end of 2022 but he comes up and He's incredible for the first month or two. He's up, and then he has a little bit of ups and downs. But you go into 2024 now with a guy that could be the setup man, and uh, he was a guy that was not really on the radar going into 2023. I went minor league focus with this question, um, and I said Jackson Holiday reaching AAA in his first season as a 19-year-old kid just because like, he said himself that the goal was double A. And my thought was this is a high school kid. The Orioles just invested a 1-1 pick in and gave him with the highest signing bonus for any high school pick ever. So they aren't going to push him too hard. He ends up playing across four levels, only 36 games in Bowie, blowing past that goal of finishing the year there. 18 games with Norfolk. And yeah, the numbers didn't pop off the page, but he still had 16 walks to 17 strikeouts, a pair of home runs after he hit only three home runs in Bowie with like almost double the number of at bats there down there in Bowie. So the power started to emerge in AAA. How quickly he advanced and how well he performed at each of those levels, I think is important now because Michael Elias says, when Michael Elias says Jackson Holiday is going to get every chance in spring to earn a roster spot, I think you can take that at face value and believe that if he has a good camp, Holiday's on the roster and starting at second base on opening day. Like there's a chance that we see like Adley behind the plate. Mountcastle at first, Holiday at second, Gunner at short, Westberg at third on opening day. And like, think about that and tell me you don't feel a little bit tingly all over. Like, that's it's it's 
player focused. It's not you know big picture on the major league side of things, but I didn't consider it, and I think it could have a major impact going into 2024. Those are both uh, good picks. I'm going to build a little bit off of Bob's, but focus on the position player side. And I'm going to say that the constant um, search for a left-handed hitting first baseman mattered in the end because of the performance of Ryan O'Hearn. O'Hearn performed really well in his own this year, but he came through for the Orioles in ways that I don't think we were expecting. He masked against right-handed hitters. He gave the Orioles a really strong plan B when Ryan Mountcastle struggled early in the year and then missed time because of the injury. And I remember we were kind of scratching our heads last offseason when Lewin Diaz, Ryan O'Hearn, Francie Cordero were being brought in. Like, what are the Orioles trying to do? And I know from my vantage point, I think O'Hearn was actually the player, was actually the move that I liked the least of those three. And it ended up being the one that worked out. And if you can even build off of that a little bit, I know Diaz didn't contribute anything to major league level, but he was a big part of why Norfolk was as successful as they were. And I'm sure that a guy that has big league time was a former top prospect himself, maybe doesn't look at that as a personal success, but stabilized that infield, good defender at first base, came through for them in a lot of key moments at the plate this year. So Diaz kind of raised the floor of the minor leagues and of the organization O'Hearn. I think ended up being a bigger contributor to this team than we ever thought. That is a great call as well. Plenty of options there. Despite poor wording, we still got some good answers. All right. How about favorite podcast moment of 2023? Favorite thing that happened on or around the podcast, Zach? It's a tie. One of them would probably be the live show at Checker Spot Brewing. That was a lot of fun. And it was great to Checker Spot stepped up and hosted uh, for us. And I hope it's not the last time we're there. Uh, the other one would be Eve Rosenbaum's interview. That, w- that was someone we've been wanting to have on the show for a while. And I know from listeners that I interact with and from our Patreon community, I don't know that I've seen more positive feedback from an interview than we that we've done over the years than that one. And she gave us a lot of really good answers, and that was a great interview. So I would put that up there. Yeah, my favorite specific moment was when Bob hit a baby under his desk as we did our usual 10, 15 minute pre-show stuff. And then we start recording and a baby just emerges on the screen. Um, That was probably one of the better moments of the what four years uh, we've done the show. Um, As far as like content is concerned though, clearly based on downloads, the Jeff Ponce interview was probably our most successful interview of the year, I think. Um, But mine were having guys like, Honestly, having guys like Joe Doyle and RM Layton on because they're outside voices and evaluators who confirmed a lot of my thoughts about guys, guys like Matt Horvath, who I was getting higher and higher on. It was great to have multiple confirmations of that. And Joe specifically got me really excited about the arms the Orioles drafted. Like, I don't know. It's good to get the outside voices, especially on the the draft side of things. You know, we say this organization is really good at drafting, which they are, but when you get someone who's not connected to the Orioles uh, and they confirm a lot of that, I get super pumped. And I devour Joe's content religiously. So it's fun to have someone on the show like that and especially fun when they're like legitimately good people. And it makes for like this fun, easy conversation because we've had some people on the show that I've stopped consuming their content after we talk to them, uh, to be completely honest. So those were great. And I was there for those. The Eve Rosenbaum interview, I don't, I was trying to remember why I couldn't make that interview, but maybe that was with my grandma. I can't remember. All I remember though, listening to that interview, that was the greatest interview I think we've ever had. And we've had pretty much everyone on this, in this organization, uh, except like SIG. <laughs> Clips of it were being played on local radio, right? Like that was awesome. Uh, and Anyone who listens to the show obviously knows who Eve Rosenbaum is. And I'm not saying anything new here, but she's going to be a star in this game. And I really hope it's like with the Orioles because whatever organization she's with, she's going to make 10 times better. And so I hope it's here in Baltimore for the long run. 1000%. She is (laughs) going to be incredible in baseball for a very long time. And I, like you said, hopefully it's here. Hopefully, you know, Mike Elias gets that bump up to president. 
Eve gets to bump up to general manager and she sticks around and does great things with the Orioles because she's already doing great things with the Orioles. Uh, that interview was absolutely my favorite interview we've ever done. Um, it was so much fun. Such great answers. Love the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Oriole bird coming out at the end. Like just, just a really, really fun time. Also the live show had always had fun getting to meet listeners in person. That was fantastic. An awesome time. The train, uh, interrupting our show. It's great stuff. And, um, personally, I know it, we didn't do a podcast in spring training, but that was my first time ever going to spring training. And it was because of the podcast that I was inspired to do so. So I had a great time down there. So yeah, a lot of really great moments for the podcast. And, you know, hopefully we get some more great interviews in 2024. Orioles PR, if you're listening, uh, answer my emails. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the worst Orioles take this past season. And we know this is Zach's question. So maybe uh, Bob and I should answer this one first. And then Zach can uh, bring the hammer home with, the, with his answer. So um, I don't know, Bob, do you want to go first? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> this is always a fun one. Uh, for me, it was almost like a, a remix of 2022. One of their worst takes of that year is the Jorge Lopez trade came back in a big way when, Oh, what do you know? The Orioles are just going to, was it claim him or sign him or trade for him? Whatever. <laughs> they brought Jorge Lopez back after he failed miserably uh, elsewhere after the trade that sent Orioles fans in an uproar at the trade deadline in 2022. And uh, that just was a lot of fun to be able to be like, yeah, look, we got Kate Povich, two DSL arms that are progressing nicely already for a reliever. Oh, and Yannir Cano, you know, the guy that took over for Felix Bautista after he got hurt as closer. And we're just going to bring the guy that we traded for them back the next year to to help the bullpen down the stretch. So that was that was a lot of fun for me. I'm going to go with this Fangraphs article. It's not the worst take. Zach does have the best answer. So we're just we're just providing more options uh, here to the lead up. But I'm not even going to give this person the credit for writing this article. Uh, but the title is It's Time for Adelaide to Come Home for Christmas. And I just reread it again right before we jumped on. This is a steaming pile of garbage. Apparently, this writer decided to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie and have pie for dinner and got inspired to write about the Orioles uh, for whatever reason. The Orioles expect Rutschman to play the heartthrob who saves the holidays and makes the whole town fall in love with him. It's a strategy expertly run by Hallmark Christmas movies who bring in one star to headline the movie and fill the rest of the cast with store brand versions of current stars. The producers hope to distract viewers from the sparse plot and lack of substance with glittery snow, twinkle lights, and music that ignites the nostalgia region of our brains. Similarly, the Orioles brass hope to occupy fans with flashy offense, an array of water-themed celebrations, and a guy nicknamed The Mountain, segue there, so that they don't fixate on the thin rotation and lack of veteran presence. Shove the movie somewhere uh, because whatever you watch and this article, because Gunnar Henderson is a freaking star uh, in Major League Baseball. And there are some studs on this team. Kyle Bradish, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, like Bob mentioned, was that last week's episode? The episode we recorded five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> he's probably the best one-two, hopefully, become the best one-two punch in baseball. Uh, that's within the realm of possibility. Uh, just a garbage article by uh, a website that honestly, the, the editorial side has been slipping lately. First Hallmark movie to ever get Os an Oscar nominated for Best Picture, in my opinion. <laughs> so, all right, now you, the two of you have set me up here, so I feel like I have to really <laughs> dive into this. The worst take of about the Orioles all year was actually about a single player, and it took place over the All-Star break. And it was all because of something the Orioles put on social media. When Felix Bautista, they tweeted an AL reliever of the month uh, graphic that had a crown on Felix Bautista's hat. A little drawn on thing there. Completely harmless. No issues at all, except for with one person, Dave Softy Mahler, a radio host in Seattle, who decided in the lead-up to the All-Star game to confront Felix Bautista about this in the outfield at T-Mobile Park. So 
Uh, CBS Baltimore has a helpful transcript here of this really riveting conversation, this really hard-hitting interview that Dave Mahler brought. He goes up to Bautista um, the Monday of the All-Star break and says, what do you think of the Orioles calling you the new King Felix? Bautista, being a nice, patient, classy person, says, uh, I don't know. Mahler says to him, would you rather have them stop that? Does that belong to Felix Hernandez? And Bautista says, yes, it does. Again, being a nice, patient person, because this is where I would have lost it. And Mahler says to him, so do us a favor, as Mariners fans, tell the Orioles social media team to knock it off. What a great way to interact with the best reliever in the American League over something that he had nothing to do with and something that is completely, completely pointless. I don't even know why I'm talking about this right now, but I felt the need to write this question into the episode so that I could call this out because it is so bad that... Honestly, it's the worst Orioles take of the last three years. And that's how long we've been doing this segment. Um, yeah, that's just bad. All over some guy called the mountain, you know? Some guy called the mountain. That's fine. King Felix, Felix Batista, the mountain, whatever you want to call him. He is uh, he is our gentle giant uh, that will rip your head off uh, when he takes the mound. But uh, an Orioles social media team, killer. They killed it this year. Uh, they are awesome. Shout out to them. That account is fun this year. Um, yeah, just Seattle. It's you know I like the Mariners. I like watching Mariners games. And I know he's not like an official beat reporter, but it's like it's a bad look for the franchise, man. Just yeah. yeah. All he managed to accomplish was me wanting to start calling Felix Bautista yeah. King Felix as much as possible. <laughs> All right, so now that I've uh, calmed down a little bit, we'll go to the most surprising breakout prospect, and I'll start with Nick. I'm going to say Luis De Leon. Guy they signed for like 30 grand. Uh, No real mention of him anywhere. Literally seems to come out of nowhere pumping gas in Delmarva. He's throwing 96, 97 from the left side. A couple of impressive secondary offerings. Got like a 73% ground ball rate in low A. 53 innings between FCL and Delmarva. Did not allow a single home run. Now he's a top 30 prospect in the system on pretty much every national list. And honestly, as long as he starts cleaning up the walk rate, which he's still young, he's still a raw pitcher. So he starts cleaning up the walk rate. I think the Orioles have a really, really intriguing pitching prospect here on their hands who I was thinking about it. You can't convince me that he was on the table to be traded. He got pulled after one inning in that game, like two days before the deadline. And I almost wonder if he was supposed to be part of the Jack Flaherty deal. And the Orioles were able to make it Zach Showalter instead, which I rather have daily on than Showalter, to be honest. But if this scenario that I've concocted in my head is true, then I'm glad it played out that way. Cause yeah, I think daily is kind of going to be, he is a breakout among Orioles fans this year, but from a national landscape, I think Daly Owen makes a lot more noise next year as he starts to move up to high. Completely agree. He was my first pick, so I'll go with my second pick here and say another pitcher who coming into 2023, we were just assuming was not even one of our top 10 relief prospects in a ball. Alex Pham ends the season, lights out starter for double A. Um, just really odd trajectory here. He was the guy that was pitching an A ball in 2022 and not even pitching that particularly well. And all of a sudden he's mini Cal Bradish and just lighten it up. So uh, yeah, just when we talked about the player development, what's ahead pitching and hitting last episode, when we said the hitting, uh, it wasn't to slight the pitching development because that is going extremely well as well. You could even say it's fantastic. Yeah. Those are both Good choices. I'm going to throw another name in here because I think he had a year that flew under the radar a little bit. Um, And that's Juan Nunez. Um, He was really good at two levels of A-ball this year. And I know you could look at and say he's a little bit older, but this is someone who's a converted position player, became a pitcher in the twin system. So still raw for a guy that came into this season at 22 years old. Really good strikeout numbers across both A-ball levels. Really, and it seemed to actually get better after he went up to Aberdeen in some ways. So 
we'll see what the future holds for him. But I really liked the season he had. And he was a guy that, as far as the prospects that came over in the deal for Jorge Lopez the uh, prior year, I maybe had him third in that group of four. And now it's, you know, maybe not the top because you still have Cade Povitz there, but he's definitely got me intrigued. Yeah, I'd certainly say he's leaped over Juan Rojas, um, which is not to say that Juan Rojas still is an, an interesting pitching prospect. But yeah, Juan Nunez definitely had a, a really strong season. And now we'll flip this question around like we did previously with what was the most surprising prospect who disappointed in 2023? Uh, Nick. For me, it's Noah DeNoyer, just because... He pitched most of last year in double A where he was put up unbelievable numbers in Bowie, went to the Arizona fall league, was an AFL fall star gets added to the 40 man roster. And then this year he struggled in triple A got DFA and then ultimately had Tommy John surgery. So like Denoria was someone who I know Brad Selick did a podcast at some point and had high praise for him. Joe Doyle, did an Orioles podcast over on his Patreon over the summer. He talked about he was a big fan of Noah DeNoyer. Clearly, the Orioles are believers in him, adding him to the 40-man roster. Now, he won't pitch next year. He's going to be like 27 when he's back on the mound in a competitive game. It's not over for him, but I just his story was so awesome. Going undrafted in 40 rounds, signing as an undrafted free agent in Baltimore, getting added to the 40-man roster eventually. I think it's an awesome story. I really wanted to see him succeed here in Baltimore, and I think he was on track to get that opportunity, but unfortunately, it just all kind of came crashing down on him, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about him again down the road when he's healthy again, but tough year for him. The guy that I think that I was most disappointed in results this year was Michael Hernandez. Uh, got $1.2 million a few years ago as part of the same international free agent signing class as Samuel Basayo. And you don't have to look back very far at prospect lists to see that there was a point in time where Hernandez was ranked head of Basayo on a lot of those rankings. And he had struggled to play over his first two summers, uh, first the DSL, but then got the bump up to the complex league in 2022, struggled there. And I had hoped going into this year that he could make at least some gradual signs of improvement. I wasn't looking for a huge year out of him. But if he had gone to the Florida Complex League, hit about 265 with a WRC plus just under 100, I would have considered that a step forward. But instead, he just really didn't get any better and in some areas got a little bit worse this past year. If there's only thing, one thing that I could say is that he did cut his strikeout rate quite a bit. But he just still has not done enough to show that he's going to be able to make that step forward offensively that you could even look at him at his mid to upper level minor league depth, let alone a guy who's a top prospect. And with the Orioles' ability to go out and find infielders in the draft and to find guys in international free agency that can come up in the organization and work their way up the ladder, Hernandez is getting surpassed. Um, and that's not something I was hoping for coming into this year. I'd hoped that even if he didn't make the Delmarva during the season, that we could at least put him in the conversation for an opening day role there next year. But I just don't see how he can do that given the year he's coming off of. Yeah, I don't think I can have him in my top 100 prospects list even right now that's how bad he's been i mean you never know he still has the tools maybe it all clicks one day kind of did with um steven acevedo a little bit this year so i'm not gonna like completely say he's toast <laughs> luis gonzalez now there's a international signing that is because i think the orioles released him recently but yeah good choices there <laughs> i was thinking about michelle de son and what happened to him uh, he didn't play in 2023, so hopefully everything's going okay with him and he can come back in 2024, but that's not my pick. My pick is a guy who, coming out of the draft in, oh, I think it was 2021, he was a, the pitcher I was most excited about. I thought he was going to be a top top 
25 to 30 prospect for us pretty quickly and move up the system as a starting pitcher. He showed some flashes. And now I'm like, he, and I'm talking talking about Carlos Tavera here. Uh, he has a, a great slider. Um, I just, the results are so bad. Like, obviously he has the tools if they can put it together, but is he even going to be able to be a relief prospect in this organization if, uh, if he doesn't turn it around soon? I know he's had a lot of issues, uh, injuries and, and other stuff, but man, this was a guy I was excited about. And, you know, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Maybe, maybe, uh, we've been a little spoiled, but Carlos Tavera is an example of why some people believe that. One of my favorite arms in this system, but um, yeah, it's running out of gas there. Uh, let's talk about the top prospect in this system, though. And uh, I feel like was last year this was Gunnar Henderson, and now we're just going to switch it to uh, Jackson Holiday. Great prospect or the greatest prospect, Zach? So we actually had this question in our year end uh, in 2021, also for Adley Rutzman. So we've been going with this one for a while. Uh, He's a great prospect, maybe the greatest prospect. Uh, the fact that he's going to be 20 years old and possibly on the Orioles opening day roster and that it feels like he's only scratching the surface of what his potential could be. Uh, he looks like he's going to play either side of the second base bag very capably. He has that great strike zone judgment, swing decisions that are beyond his years, really good contact skills. And I know that some people like to nitpick the lack of power, but he hits the ball hard. The power is going to come around eventually. It might not be there next year, but it is going to come around. And I think that I I made this point on a show earlier this year, and I think it's worth bringing up again. It's just odd to think that going into the draft in 2022, he was not the obvious number one pick at all. He was not the number one pick in a lot of pundits' minds. That was Drew Jones. Um, as the best prospect overall in the draft. And now you look, not just Holiday compared to Jones, Holiday compared really to any player in that draft class. It just seems odd to think it wasn't that long ago that we didn't see this coming at all. Yeah, greatest prospect. Um, You know, the power is actually already kind of shown to be there, and we know it's only going to get better. He was... 19 years old all year long he's only going to get stronger and stronger the problem wasn't necessarily the raw power it was he was just hitting the ball on the ground too much as a uh, as a young kid that makes that makes sense he's got to learn to uh, hit more line drives elevate the ball a little bit more but he's got really really solid average exit velocity 91.1 percent or percent miles per hour 90th uh, percentage exit velocity 102.3. He had a max of 110.3. So, you know, that's pretty good numbers, especially for his age and and all that. But, yeah, I think we are just so spoiled. <laughs> we are so, so spoiled, and I love it. Greatest prospect. I feel like I've spent the last couple of months always saying, like, we underestimate Holiday and his abilities and what he's capable of because, like, oh, he's going to do this or he's not going to do that, and then he does it. Um and now I feel like I'm taking a step back, though. And you guys got me regretting my answer a little bit because I, I said great. Um, I think defensively, he's fine now. There is a potential, I think, there for him to take that Gunnar Henderson step forward defensively. We spent, what, three years talking about Gunnar Henderson's defense and how he was struggling there and what aspects he was struggling with and how he overcame those struggles. And But at this point, like I'm not moving gunner off shortstop for jackson holiday i think holiday can play second base and that's fine and if his defense takes a gunner level type leap over the next year or two then we can have a more fun conversation then but for right now i think holiday is a solid second baseman he entered 2023 noticeably bigger and stronger than when he came out of the draft and i think when we see him on the field in 2024 in what two months he's gonna look bigger uh, and show us that he's stronger this offseason. He's still just 20 years old. I do agree. I think we're going to see a lot more home runs next year. But I also think that he's such a smart hitter that he's always going to have that I'm, spray it all over the field, kind of shoot the gap for a double type play in him, not necessarily put up always like big home run numbers. I don't know. Regardless, like he's a special talent. 
And I think when you look 20 years from now, when you look back at this draft class, it's going to be pretty clear. Like I hope Drew Jones can check off these injuries and still be a, a big time prospect in this game. But I think when you look back at this draft class, it's going to be clear as day. Jackson holiday was the clear one, one and the best player to come out of this draft class. And I don't think there's going to be any debate there when, when it's all said and done. Before I jump into the next question, I just had a thought here that I wanted to throw out about Jackson holiday's defense and kind of as a comparison to Gunner. And I fully agree with Nick that I'm not going to bump Gunner off shortstop for Jackson holiday. Uh, Gunner's got the better arm. I think their range is comparable, but would you say that at a similar stage in their career, Gunner had more tools as a defender, but that Holiday is more fundamentally sound. Yes. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, I think even Holiday is probably more advanced than where Gunner was when he was 19 at shortstop. But it's just, it's this, the problem is his hitting is too good that he's moving up the ladder where the game is speeding up. He's not really giving himself a chance to to let the defense develop the same way it would for a normal prospect who goes one or two levels a year instead of four. Um, like the range is fine, the arm is fine. Like these are good. He's got good arm, good range. It's just the instincts. It's just the the speed of the game and just uh, the timing mechanisms. Which obviously they're going to get better. We saw it with Gunner. We'll see it with Holiday as well. Yeah, I, I don't know like what the fielding percentage numbers are. I don't really care because I think that's kind of a BS stat uh, that doesn't really tell you anything. Um, but I would say like just the eye test, I agree with that. I think Holiday is definitely more, he's not as flashy. He can make tough plays. He's made a lot of tough plays and really highlight real plays. But I feel like Gunner, Gunner can get to balls that you're like, how did you do that? Um, the arm strength, incredible, unmatched. Um to be honest, I don't, I don't think Holiday is going to have that type of arm strength that Gunner does. But yeah, Gunner, he was wild. He was crazy. He needed to slow down the game in his mind, which he has done tremendously. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a good take there. So we love to put John Mioli through this exercise. So we're going to do it to ourselves now. Pull John Mioli and predict the top 10 Orioles prospects this time next year. And I'm going to start with Bob. All right. Here we go. <laughs> number one, obviously, Samuel Basayo. And I predict he will be the number one prospect in baseball for what the fourth year in a row for the Orioles. So that's that's my bold prediction there. Number two, I'll say Dylan Beavers. I think he's going to continue to really just develop that bat, become more consistent, get more of his raw power into game power. We know he plays a really good outfield defense, so I think he will continue to slide up the list. Number three, Matt Corvath, I think, is going to leapfrog Enrique Bradfield to be the best prospect out of last year's draft by this time next year. I think he's going to have a really, really strong season and, and break out. And I think he played as much second base and third base as he did in the outfield. So... That's going to be interesting to follow where where the, he goes defensively, but I think the bat is legit. Number four, I'm going with Seth Johnson. I think he's going to come back in a huge way next year. He might even – I think there's a chance he's not even prospect eligible, but uh, I'll just say that he is just because he's still got a long ways to go. I think he's touched in triple digits with his fastball. He's got got some great stuff. I think he's going to be end up being – a top 100 prospect in baseball towards the back end and be a starting pitching prospect when all is said and done. Number five, Enrique Bradfield Jr. Don't really think there's much explanation needed there. Same with number six, Cade Povich. I think he'll still be prospect eligible. Jackson Ballmeister, number seven. Judd Fabian, number eight. Previously mentioned Luis de Leon, number nine. I feel like he will continue to rocket up this list. And number 10, It'll be the Samuel Basayo Award for, you know, these FCL international guys that start in low A in the season and end up just breaking out as the year goes on. Thomas Sosa at number 10. And so that means the guys I have graduating off the list, Holiday, Mayo, I think graduate, graduate, Ortiz graduates, Calza graduates, Kursak graduates, Norby is traded, and McDermott graduates. I like it. I've got I got my top four that I was like, this is my order. And then five through ten, I'm just gonna rattle off four names 
in kind of an order, but two of the names are unknown, so I couldn't include it. Uh, it's tougher to rank. But one, I've got Kobe Mayo. I, I think they use the defense. I think John Mioli mentioned this uh, when he was on. I think they use the he's learning right field as a way to kind of keep him down a little bit longer, not because he's not ready. But So I'll say Kobe Mayo's one, Basayo two. I have Bradfield at number three because I think the bat takes off. And I also had Seth Johnson at four. And then I went pitching heavy here, and I've got some combination of McDermott. I'm worried about the the back thing and how, I don't know. I think he kind of keeps his prospect eligibility. But he's up there in the top five or six. Jackson Baumeister, Kate Povich, and then I have Matt Corvath there at eight. And then I have two kind of placeholders. I just said 2024 draft picks for the other two prospects. Um, they're they're going to get some studs there in the back end of the first round. Uh, so, yeah, it's pitching heavy, which I kind of like. Dylan Beavers was the tough one. I wanted to put Beavers like over Horvath, but I figured, you know what? I'm going pitching heavy. I feel like in these last two episodes, the pitching development takes that next leap. So you've got Johnson, McDermott, Baumeister, Povich there. And I do agree. I think Matt Horvath kind of becomes like the prospect darling in this organization next year behind the obvious of you know, the Mayos and Basayos. Those are all good choices. So I'm going to go with Basayo one. I and then I think he's going to be followed by Povitz because Povitz has a little bit of helium nationally because he did make ESPN's top 100. And there were points last year where he looked like a consensus top 100 prospect. I think this year he's a little bit more consistent and we see everybody hop aboard that train. I'm going to go Enrique Bradfield third. I think the bat's going to come around like Nick said. And then I'll follow that up with Dylan Beavers fourth. Uh, he came on so strong in the second half last year that I'm pretty confident in him taking more steps forward next year. I really like Matt Horvath going into this season. I'm going to put him fifth. I think this is the player who takes the biggest leap in terms of prospect stock of anyone from the 2023 draft class. I really see him as a back back end top 100 guy potentially going into next year. So then I'm going to have Jackson Ballmeister six. And then at seventh, I'm going to go with Judd Fabian. I just think that glove and the ability to stick in center field is going to catch some people's eyes. Uh, did I put Ballmeister in yet? Yeah, I believe so. Six, Okay. Right? Yeah, so I had Jackson Ballmeister in there. And then I'm going to go with Judd Fabian after that. And then from there, um, I'll go with Seth Johnson. I think that he won't have graduated just yet. I don't know what his usage is going to be going into next year, but I think regardless of how much he pitches, he is going to be effective. And then at 10th, I'm going to go with whoever the Orioles take um, out of next year's draft with those top three picks that's regarded as having the highest ceiling. Might not necessarily be with their first pick, but someone in that mold. There was one name that I thought about, and that was Carter Ballmer, but I just want to see a healthy stretch from him before I anoint him potential top 10 prospect. Yeah. I just ignored the new draft picks because I mean, that's, I don't know. That's going to be so much fun next summer when we get to analyze those three really early picks. But uh, for the, for this exercise, I just ignored them because we have no idea. Um, okay. Next is I have a whole top five of my favorite books. I read this year, movies I saw, and TV shows I watched, but was there any other favorite things of 2023 outside of baseball that you guys would like to mention? Mm, uh, I don't watch movies. I can't <laughs> tell you the last movie I watched that wasn't a child's movie. Um, I haven't read a book in like three years. Um, I only listen to music if my wife's in the car with me. So, and really other than, TV, it's Big Brother and 90 Day Fiance, and I don't think I really watch like anything else. Um, it's just sports because I'm a true degenerate gambler, and I'm sweating bets every night. So I, <laughs> I got I got nothing on the. That so scale. Out, outside of baseball, I'm a big contract goer and got to a few good shows this year. I would say the best one was the Revivalist and the Head and the Heart at Merriweather. That was a fantastic concert. 
Uh, and then the only movie I saw in the theater, it was the first movie I've seen in a theater since 2019, was the reissuing of Talking Heads' Stop Making Sense, which was spectacular. I got to see that at the Charles Theater, which is one of my places to go, favorite places to go to here in Baltimore. So those would be my two highlights. I feel like the books I read this year that were good were released years ago and wouldn't really apply to 2023. Yeah, with the books, I didn't go by what was released this year just because I read 150 books and <laughs> I don't know. Um, audiobooks as a mailman on 2x speed, you can read a lot of books. <laughs> um, number one would be this is books Dead House Gates, which is the second book in the Malazan Book of the Fallen series. It's an epic fantasy series written by Stephen Erickson. If you're into Game of Thrones or the Cosmere type stuff, um, I would check it out if you haven't. Uh, number two would be American Gods, written by Neil Gaiman, which is a book that we actually did for our On the Verge patron book club. was actually not American Gods, but it was another Neil Gaiman book, The Graveyard Book, which I enjoyed so much that I'm like, I want to read more Neil Gaiman. And I thought American Gods was a masterpiece. Uh, number three would be Salem's Lot, written by Stephen King. I read every single Stephen King book this year that he ever wrote, and he wrote like over 80. Uh, had never read one coming into the year. Read them all. Salem's Lot was my favorite, so that gets uh, in the number three slot. Cormac McCarthy's The Road would be number four. That was uh, a surprisingly affecting, no wasted words. Like it's, I think it's like 300 words or, or 300 what is it pages <laughs> or less but it it really packs a punch in what he gives you there number five was a book released in 2023 i think or the end of 2022 tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow which was a kind of like a relationship drama based on the video game development world but it, it's very uh very creative the way the way they made it work as far as movies go number one killers of the flower moon martin scorsese leonardo dicaprio number two oppenheimer Number three, Across the Spider-Verse. Number four, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. See, this is where my uh, my kids come into play. I get to watch all these fun superhero movies. And number five was David Fincher's The Killer on TV. Number one was Succession. Thought they ended their final season incredibly well. Uh, my favorite season of the show happened to be the last. Number two was The Last of Us on HBO. Number three, The Bear on Hulu. Number four, Beef on Netflix. And number five, Dave, the show about Lil Dicky on FX. Just watch a lot of Spidey, Amazing Heroes, and freaking Cars like 5,000 times. I could sit here and recite Cars word for word. Um, so we'll move on to bold predictions for 2024. Uh, Orioles, baseball related. I don't know where you guys took this. I have two... Two major league, three major league, and two minor league predictions here. But we'll start with Zach on your bold predictions. So, bold prediction for 2024 from the Orioles side of things is that I think after this season, we're going to be having a really tough conversation about who the Orioles go with long term at first base because I think Ryan Mountcastle is going to settle into a player that's closer to the 2021 version of himself. I think Heston Kersat's going to put together a really good rookie season. And then somewhere in that mix, you're going to have Kobe Mayo factoring in. And then not to mention if Samuel Basayo could crack Norfolk's roster before the year ends, are we talking about him possibly getting reps at first base in 2025? And I know it's looking a little far ahead, but I think Mountcastle plays well enough this year to make that combined with a solid rookie season from Heston Kerstad, combined with a solid rookie run at the major leagues from Kobe Mayo, first base is going to be a really tough conversation after this season. And then as far as all of baseball goes, right now, and I might change my mind on this, but I think the Nationals finish ahead of the Marlins in the NL East because I just think the Marlins are going to go into the year with a short leash in terms of selling, if they don't move a couple of players over the offseason, and if they get off to a slow start, I could see them cleaning house. Whereas the Nationals, they're still a little ways off from contending, but I thought they had a decent end to the year last year. 
Dylan Cruz looks like he could be fairly close to the major league. So I don't know that either team's particularly great next year. And if the Marlins change course this offseason and start buying, I reserve the right to pull that one back. But knowing the Marlins' history and their tendency to tear things down at the first sign of trouble, that outcome wouldn't surprise me at all. Very cool. All mine are strictly Orioles-related. I will say Jackson Holiday does make the opening day roster, becomes eligible for that rookie of the year draft pick compensation, just like Gunnar Henderson. I don't know if he'll win. It's a very, very crowded, very, very actually exciting rookie of the year race, probably looking like in the American League next year. But I do think just the way at the winter meetings, it was like almost a talking point for Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde the whole time. I don't know if that was them that brought that into things or if it was just that's what everyone's asking but the way it was constantly being brought up and their answers specifically told me unless he pulls a Grayson Rodriguez and kind of plays his way out of it I think he's on the opening day roster so that's number one number two I think Gunnar Henderson is going to win the MVP in the American League next year I think the thing with Gunnar Henderson is and we've we've noted this for many years on this podcast, he is one motivated individual. He is constantly growth mindset, better, get better, get better, get better. He's still going to improve. He's 22 years old. Like he's, he won the rookie of the year. He got better as the year went on. We saw his defense improve. He was the best base runner in all of baseball. According to baseball savant, he's not going to slow down. He's going to continue to get better. So whether it's 2024 or, or very soon in his career, I do think he's going to win MVP. And I will say number three, Samuel Basayo, September call-up 2024 to set himself up for that rookie of the year in 2025. I think he's going to just continue to be a special, special player. And like I said, I think he will be the number one prospect in baseball to give the Orioles the continue to have the longest streak in the history of the world of having the best prospect many years in a row. And lastly, I think Chase McDermott, consider if he's back like nick said i am worried about that back injury but if he recovers and continues where he left off i think he's gonna play a pretty decent role in the second half of next season out of the bullpen or as a replacement starter i I just feel like there's going to be a way for him to to help the team on the pitching side at some point more than people expect that would be amazing um i got a couple i had fun with these it's bold, but not unrealistic. Um, first one is, I don't know exactly how it happens. I'm not going through the math and the mental gymnastics and trying to figure out how this happens. But I'm going to say Connor Norby ends the year as like a regular semi-regular in the Orioles lineup and has a like Jordan Westberg-like experience in the big leagues. And a bunch of us, myself included, look back and be like, I'm glad we didn't trade him even though I think he's like the first prospect in the system that most people point to again, myself included. I don't know why, but I'll go there. Um, Cedric Mullins. I don't think he repeats the 30, 30 season, but he rebounds. He's healthy. The hammies are good. And he's like back to potential all-star level in 2024. Uh, And then Anthony Santander signs an extension. I think he loves Baltimore too much. He loves this organization. I talked about this with Connor on Locked on Orioles and why he's probably not going to sign an extension, but let's be bold. It's a short extension. Everybody's happy. And on the minor league side, I had two quick ones. Um, I almost said Trace Bright wins minor league pitcher of the year honors. And Jake Cunningham ends the year in AAA as a, a top 10 to 15 prospect in the system. I like all of those. Um, yeah, the Cunningham just looks like a guy that might break out. I mean, after all we heard, he is a tool set coming out of the draft. So, Thank you, Brad Selick, for all of your uh, contributions to this organization. You will forever be remembered uh, and memorialized in the tool shed as he climbs the ranks in this organization. I'll go now to this question, which is, what will you remember the most about 2023? I will start with Nick. In terms of like the Orioles, it's the year that pitching turned the corner in Baltimore continued with the pitching theme, like a bit ironic because they kind of faltered in the playoffs uh, leading to this team getting swept. But Cal Bradish emerges the leader of this staff finished fourth in Cy Young voting. 
Grayson Rodriguez made his debut, struggled like most rookies do, but found his groove in Norfolk and finished the year on a super high note. Felix Batista emerged as arguably, or maybe not arguably, the most dominant closer in baseball before his surgery, unfortunately. Yenier Cano was an all-star this year. The guy had an ERA over 11 in the big leagues in 2022, and I could hear people moaning as I like wax poetically about his stuff in Norfolk. I could hear it. And here he is as an all-star. Um, Bradish had one year of high experience when he came to Baltimore and was labeled as barely a relief prospect. But the Orioles developed him into who he is now. They drafted Grayson Rodriguez and developed him into who he is now. The Orioles developed Felix Batista into who he is. This guy was walking everybody that came to the plate in A-ball, what his like fifth year of A-ball, rookie ball. He became an all-star. Um, Junior Cano mentioned there, even the way they handled Tyler Wells and D.L. Hall, I think specifically D.L. Hall, building the velo back up, getting him fully healthy again, and then watching as he just dominated out of the bullpen. I just think that the Orioles still need pitching. There's a lot of, you know, Orioles need an ace. They need this. They need that, which they do. But I just think the successes of this pitching staff get overlooked in all of that. And they made pretty clear strides this past year. And all these guys have still much higher ceilings that I think is a fantastic core here that should be celebrated. I will remember that I had a baby. Well, I didn't, but uh, my wife had a baby this year. And <laughs> just when we thought we were done, they drag us back in. Uh, a 12-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a newborn. It's been a handful in the second half of, uh, and even the first half with the pregnant woman. No offense, but <laughs> it was a lot for not just me, for her too, but it was a lot. Uh, but but as far as the Orioles go, I will say I will remember 2023 as the year the Orioles officially became everything I've ever wanted them to be as an organization like successful at the major league level successful at the minor league level best farm system in baseball successful in player development you know there's one key piece missing but hopefully one day soon that will be corrected but it uh it's uh it's like pinch me i'm dreaming the orioles are this good and uh yeah it's great i will remember 2023 for Bob's newborn daughter warning us about Jack Flaherty and the three of us texting each other for about a half an hour uh, consistently one morning because we agreed with Dan Connolly take and we couldn't believe we had gotten <laughs> to that point, but we did. Now, I, I'm going to remember the this year as the year that the rebuild ended. Everything that we had hoped for came together in the form of this really special season at the major league level, a great year in the minors, and hopefully we remember 2024 as a year where they took it over the top and won the World Series. All right, Bob, you want to bring it home for us? Any personal or podcast goals for 2024 for us? Let's start with Nick. Nothing specific right now. Honestly, just keep pumping out the content as long as people like it and want it. I am YouTube illiterate, uh, but I think there's a big opportunity there for us to grow, make more visual content. I've always liked the idea of, you know, like we're talking about a player for a segment and being able to bring in the clips on the for the people who watch us live and the visual side of that, uh, you know, talk about things, break, break guys down and all that stuff. But I feel like this last year between my wife didn't have a baby, but I did move twice during the season we built a home, moved into that home, and now the kids are, I have two kids who are just full-blown active, active toddlers. And so like the Twitter accounts and you know the podcast prep and even excitement for the podcast, honestly, at for periods in 2024 was just like non-existent. And then it's always mind-blowing though to look at the number of people who listen to the show on a weekly basis and see that we have like 130 plus, 140 plus patrons the most loyal supporters who like, actually take some of their hard-earned money and slide it our way. And the fact that people actually do that is something that I can't imagine that people do it. Thank you. Uh, but I can't imagine that we would ever get to this point. But like, those are the people that, you know, it, that means the most, I think, to us. And I don't think that's that gets lost on us. The DMs and outreach from players in this system, 
from coaches in this system, scouts, front office personnel who reached out, even if it's just like a, Hey, thanks for sharing my clips. Like it's a great reminder of why I love doing this, to be honest. Like, yeah, it's fun to talk about the Jackson holidays and the gunners and all those of the world, but you know, call them org guys or filler, whatever you want. Like I absolutely hate those terms just because they're professional athletes grinding their butts off to reach the major leagues, which I think is the most difficult thing to do in sports to go across five or six levels of, of minor league ball to get to the major leagues. You could be in the minor leagues for six, seven, eight plus years and never reach the big leagues. But I love being able to highlight every player in this system when they're playing well, see the support these guys gets. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, there's some tweaks and things we're probably going to change or add to the shows and, and our coverage. But I think at our core, my goal is just to keep doing what we're doing and, the podcast and Twitter accounts kind of come and go all the time, but we're about to celebrate what, our fourth birthday in like a month or two. And I don't see us uh, stopping anytime soon. So, yeah, that's really well said. Mm -hmm. Personally, I want to find a new job in 2024 for the podcast. I just want to keep, keep grinding, keep, keep growing uh, the community, keep growing the podcast and any little ways that we can just get a little bit better you know, always room to improve. Just keep doing it, getting better and better. And uh, just really appreciating everyone that listens, like Nick said. I mean, it's it's truly unbelievable. Like, I had a movie podcast for seven years from like 2013 to 2019. I don't know if that's seven years, but it was something like that. And we got maybe 20 downloads a week. And that was like, all right, we're doing this for fun. And then this, I'm like, oh, this is even way more uh, niche of a subject. So let's, let's see how this goes. At least we'll have fun doing it. And the, the fact that we've grown to what we have is just absolutely mind-blowing. And I absolutely love to do it. I never want to stop. So just continue to watch and interact with us, and, and we'll continue to, to make it. And I'll just add on to everything that you both said about the podcast, which I fully agree with. Uh, my goal for next year, two live shows. I think we can pull it off. I think we can make it happen. Stay tuned. We're working on it. Uh, that does it for our 2023 in review and for the year 2023 on this podcast. We hope that our listeners are enjoying a great holiday season. We look forward to speaking with you in the new year. And before we wrap up, I want to announce a new perk for our loyal patrons. If you are a paying member of our Patreon community, you will soon start receiving a Substack newsletter with articles written by Bob, Nick, and myself. Uh, the plan right now is that we're going to probably have one or two articles a month leading up to the season, see how things go, and then pop, probably ramp up the content on Substack as the season goes on. We're also going to look into some options uh, eventually for non-patrons to sign up to receive the newsletter. But for now, if you are a member of our Patreon community at the 3 5 or $10 levels, you can expect the first newsletter to drop in your inbox here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, on behalf of Bob and Nick, thank you to everyone who has listened to us this year, everyone who has downloaded our episodes, uh, interacted with us on social media, has been on our show. Uh, you're the reason we do this show. We enjoy doing this so much. And after a great 2023, we are looking better to looking forward to an even better 2024. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the Verge. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.